Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Well, we've been in a series entitled, What Does the Bible Say About? And so we've been addressing different questions that so many times people have. And today we're addressing the subject of giving. What does the Bible say about giving? And so we're going to unpack this. We're going to explore this a little bit. We've already talked about a number of, of subjects uh, in this series. We've talked about what does the Bible say about the gifts of the Spirit? What does the Bible say about healing? What does the Bible say about forgiveness? What does the Bible say about prayer? And last week we talked about what does the Bible say about the invisible realm? We talked a little bit about angels and demons. And, and so an uh, interesting topic. And I, I appreciate uh, just the hunger that I see in the church here for truth and, and knowing truth. And, and, and we're going to pray right now. And as, as, as we pray, I wa- I've been continuing and I want to continue to encourage you to maintain a kingdom focus. Because right now in our culture, right now in our nation, there's a lot of false narratives that are going around. But there's a true narrative And unless we are kingdom-focused as a people, as God's people, we will be messed up in, 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 in so many ways. Unless we maintain a kingdom focus. And with a kingdom focus, that means we need to be occupied with his purpose to carry out his business. Because God has an objective and a will that he wants to convey to us and he wants us to embrace that in this time. And I believe that uh, God is moving in this season in the earth. And we look to him. Nothing takes him by surprise. And so we want to just join our faith together as we pray that God continue to guide us with discernment in truth. And uh, so that we can overcome whatever false narrative that we may be confronted with. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for an opportunity to gather as a church family, as a body of believers. We thank you for those that have tuned in online. And Father, we believe that your word, Father, is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, that it, it goes forth, Father, to minister life, Father, to divide and to bring to light the things that are hidden. Father, we pray for understanding in this place today. Father, we pray for our nation, and, and we pray against COVID-19, this virus and its spread. We pray that it be contained. And those, Father, that are afflicted with this, we pray for their health, their well-being, their healing, and their recovery. Thank you for wisdom. As we navigate through these times, as we look to you, we declare the 91st Psalm over this church family that no plague shall come near our dwelling. We thank you for health and healing in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 20, verse 35. And, and this is where we're starting uh, because this is a passage, I believe, that is, it, it speaks well about what I believe Jesus wanted to communicate to his people on the subject of giving. And, and, and so... If you find your place, though, you can read on the slide behind me, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. And the scripture reads, In all things I've shown you 
that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What does the Bible say about giving? Well, from this passage, we can readily see that Jesus declared it's the greater blessing. And so today we're going to talk about the greater blessing of giving. And, and I've personally experienced what Jesus is talking about here. There's something about experiencing the joy and the pleasure and the excitement of having the ability to give and to see that gift bring blessing to someone's life and to bring freedom to someone's life. And so we're going to talk about it in, in, in that somewhat in that context. But let me just share this. To withhold the truth to you on this subject, for me as a pastor, would be uh, a disgrace. Um, if I fail to talk to you as a pastor about the subject of giving, I've robbed you from the blessing that giving brings. Because if Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, then we need to look at that closely. We need to take note of that. And now, we're not going to receive an offering at the end of this service either because realize that giving goes far beyond just finances. It involves so much more of your life, your talent, your ability, your time. Giving encompasses so much more. And we understand that the greatest giver in the universe is God himself, God Almighty. In, in the scripture, John 3.16, it says, God so loved that he what? He gave. That describes his character. And the greatest motivator for giving is love. If you love, you will give. It is the response of a loving, caring heart. You cannot hold back someone's ability to give uh, when they love. It's an automatic response, okay? And so, uh, and you might want to write this down if you're taking notes, because this is an important point. Giving is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It always has been and it always will be a heart issue. It really is. And so our focus today will be addressing the heart of giving, okay? Uh, rather than the gift itself. We can talk about that. But God always likes to get to the heart of the issue whenever he deals with the subject. A giving heart responds in obedience to give, okay? And so the heart of a true giver always responds in obedience, okay? And that's another point. You can write that down. I want to talk just a, a couple minutes about givers and takers. There's two classes that we want to talk about, givers and takers, now, the condition of your heart determines whether you are a giver or a taker. And in some sense, we've all been takers, but God wants to move us from being takers to givers. He wants to move us from, from always being in a place of, of need to receive to place us in a place so that we can sow and give and, and be a blessing. So... Uh, 
there was a time in my life, and this was a number of years ago, I'm not going to tell my age this morning, when I determined I'd be a giver and not a taker. And I can remember that because one of the first things I had to address in my life was this thing called selfishness and greed because of what I wanted for myself rather than what I could do to benefit another human being and being a blessing to them. Givers are motivated by love and generosity. Givers are motivated by love and generosities. Get this. Takers are motivated by lust, selfishness, and greed. Now, lust isn't just a sexual term. Lust is a desire, a craving for something and to obtain it at whatever cost, you know, uh, it would be. So, in fact, love gives at the expense of self. Lust takes at the expense of others. See, if you're lusting after something, you, 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 you're not looking for what is in the best interest of that person. You're just looking at what's in the best interest of, of you. It's, it's selfish. It's self-focused. Givers are aware, focused, and respond to the needs of others. Takers are aware or are unaware and unconcerned about the needs of others except for their own needs. Okay. Uh, givers volunteer their time not just their money. Givers put the needs and the considerations, the interest, and the needs of others above themselves. And, and we see that played out in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, don't look out just for your own interest, but consider the interest of others. And In other words, don't be selfish. And I think as individuals, the, the human nature is basically selfish. But when we receive the life of God, when we are beginning to grow in the nature of God, then our character changes. We become less and less selfish. And, and Jesus demonstrated a selfless life in giving his life as a sacrifice for us. And, and we too need to lay our lives down in a sense where we give ourselves to benefit others, okay? Now, Givers are full of gratitude. Takers are full of greed and ingratitude. And ingratitude is simply a lack of appreciation for kindness or a gift received. You know, takers don't always uh, give thanks for what they've received. They only complain because they didn't get more. Uh, takers are, are not really thinking about what they can do to benefit another human being. Now, givers generally are fulfilled in life. Takers are unfulfilled in life. So at what level are you today? And, and you can do your own kind of self-examination of your heart and where it's at. Um, are you a giver? At what level? Or are you a taker? At what level? And I think somewhere we're all working in our life because in some ways we're still takers, but we're, in some ways we're givers. But there's a progressive work of God in us if we're open to let God do a work in us and he'll change us. But there needs to be a point, and this is, this is my point. 
Are you willing to make a determination to be a giver and not a taker? I've discovered in my life when I've made determinations, that's the point where my life began to change. I could have wishful thinking, oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be that. But it wasn't until I made a determination of my heart, a quality decision. I will live my life no longer as a taker, but as a giver. And, and, and when you make that decision, things begin to shift and focus in your life, your perspective, your outlook, and all that begins to change. So you may have heard it said before. I don't know if you have. There are two kinds of people in the world, givers and takers. The takers may eat better, but the givers sleep better. Yeah. <laughs> now, and we must differentiate between takers and receivers. Okay? Because we have to learn how to receive what God has for us. Or we need to learn at times to receive when someone wants to bless us. Because sometimes it's pride and, you know, uh, lack of humility. So, no, I, I don't want that. When someone wants to bless you and, and you're rejecting that blessing. When one, somebody wants to help you out and say, no, you don't have to do that. You know, we need to learn how to receive. But a receiver is not a taker, okay? And, and there's a scripture on that I want to uh, share with you. It's Philippians 4, verse 15. You know, because some of you may have a problem receiving from God and others, which is, as I said, because of human pride and a lack of humility is really what it is. And, and before I read this scripture, uh, in the times of the Great Depression, uh, now I wasn't alive then, so that was before my time. Okay? Um, there were people that would go and take bags of groceries to people that were out of work, unemployed, and a man would be at the door and the people were wanting to give them these groceries. And the man was saying, oh, we don't take charity. You go give your stuff to someone else. While the family was suffering from lack inside the house. And, 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 and at times there's people like that, that they're too proud to receive. It takes a humble heart to receive. Whether it's receiving correction, rebuke, or receiving a gift, receiving grace, receiving what God has for you, it takes humility to receive. So receiving is important. So let's look at the verse. Philippians 4.15 says, And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in beginning... In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, so this is the Apostle Paul writing, he was on a missionary trip. He was going and preaching and sharing the gospel, the word of God. Uh, he stated, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So this was a church that partnered with Paul. And notice it says giving and receiving. They're both important. Because if you're giving, that means somebody needs to be receiving. If you're receiving, that means somebody needs to be giving. So it's a two-way street. Uh, we give and receive. But let's purpose not to be a taker. Because a taker doesn't show appreciation for what they take. Okay? Now, we see another principle. I'm going to share a couple of principles so that you can understand maybe giving in a different perspective. And this is a statement. You can write this down, then we'll go to the word on this. Your heart will always follow your treasure. 
In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus is speaking and, and he's addressing uh, this issue of, of, of just finances, treasure, money, stuff. Uh, and he kind of ends the narrative, you can't serve God in money uh, a little bit later. But in verse 19, it starts off by saying, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Uh, Another, and it's not saying you shouldn't have a bank account, you shouldn't invest in the, for the future, for retirement. He's not saying that. What he's saying is don't just do that, okay? And, but verse 20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. In other words, God is saying, invest in my kingdom. Invest in in giving to the kingdom of God. And when you give to God, that's something that will be multiple. That's the best investment you can make, okay? But notice it says, for you where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. The principle is, wherever you place your treasure or your money, it's an indication that's where your heart is. Uh, and and I've, I've, I've said this before, and not that we have checkbooks anymore, but if I look at your bank statement and see where all your money is going, I can tell you where your heart is. So if, if you, you know, uh, and, and it's okay if, if you love hunting, maybe you're spending a lot of your money on hunting, uh, you know, clothes, guns, and all that stuff, or, you know, whatever your, whatever your money is going towards, that's, that shows what you love, that's what you treasure. Uh, and Jesus saying, your indication of your heart, it's with me if you're giving me your treasure. Because your heart follows your treasure. You know, when, when I fell in love with my wife and, you know, uh, I started sending treasure her way. Blessing her. I, I can remember one of the, I bought her a Trek bicycle, a mountain bike. And it was, at that time it was a pretty big investment, but I cared for her. I loved her so much, and I was willing to put my treasure there because that's where my heart was, right? And so uh, you, you, if, if you're cheap and, and you can't, you know, I won't go there. <laughs> Just the, wives know that if your husband is, is giving you attention and, and sowing finances your way, uh, then that's where his heart is, okay? Because he wants to see you blessed. He wants to see uh, you taken care of, okay? All right, we, this is not about marriage today, so I better get off this subject here, get back on track. So one of the things that we see um, is that God wants your heart. And if he has your treasure, he has your heart. And we're going to talk a little bit about the tithe today and, and what that is, because that's, that's a hard indicator when you give God your first fruits. Um, but I believe, and I want to share this, because one of the things at Refuge that we believe in so passionately is to develop a culture of generosity among the people. Proverbs 11.25 says, A generous person will be prosperous. And one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. We see this principle. Some people say, well, I'll be generous when I'm prosperous. No, it doesn't work that way. 
when you are generous, then prosperity follows. And prosperity simply means to have success in your life journey, to have everything you need to live your life successfully and accomplish the purpose of God for your life. And so um, be generous and cultivate that generosity. And there's different practical ways that you can express generosity. And I'd encourage you uh, to pray and ask God to give you a generous heart. Okay? Now, so let's look at this thing called the tithe. Because when we, whenever you know, pastors talk about giving or things like that, uh, notice, uh, or sometimes we see when they talk about this thing called the tithe. And I want to explain that to you. And I also want you to know my heart as, as your pastor. I'm not after your money at all. What I'm after is you giving your heart to God. Because if God has your heart, then he can do something incredible with your life. And if he has your heart, then what you do with your money is going to make an incredible impact in his kingdom. And, and, and I believe that strongly. So, so when we look at tithes and offerings, um, in Matthew 23, 23, and, and I don't have a slide up here for that, but you can write that verse down. And Jesus affirms the tithe. He's addressing the Pharisees. He said, you tithe on this and that, but you're neglecting other issues such as justice in God's mercy. But he said, but don't neglect the tithe. Yeah, you should do that, but don't neglect these other things. Okay? And so we, we understand that. And so uh, in, in Genesis, we see the story about Cain and Abel. Uh, those were the first uh, two sons of uh, Adam and Eve. And in chapter 4, uh, I'm just going to give the narrative of the story. We're not going to turn there. Abel brought the first uh, of his flock, the first fruits of his flock, and, and Cain brought leftovers of his crop. Okay? And so here Abel brings the very first of, and the best of his flock of, of sheep or goats or whatever it was. And he presented that as an offering to the Lord. And Cain, his brother, brought the leftovers of his crop. He was, you know, had some vegetables and fruits. He was raising crops. He brought some leftovers. And, and let me just say, leftovers are not the same as being at the meal when it's first prepared. How many of you have some leftovers from Thanksgiving dinner? Plenty of leftovers, right? Okay. And so uh, some people think about Cain and Abel thing. Oh, it wasn't a, a blood sacrifice. That's why God rejected it. Um, or maybe it was this, that God rejected Cain's sacrifice and accepted Abel's. But when it, it really boils down to it, it was what was first presented. Abel gave his first to God, his first fruits of his flock. Cain gave leftovers because the scriptures in the process of time, he, he brought an offering. And so maybe it was just some of the stuff that that's going to go to waste anyway. He brought his leftover. So imagine, and just for, for the sake of thinking about it, 
Imagine neglecting to invite someone who is supposed to be important in your life to Thanksgiving dinner. And as an afterthought, decide to give them the leftovers. See, that's the real issue between Cain and Abel. It really is. So Cain had a bad attitude about giving that sparked jealousy in his heart towards his brother, which eventually led to him murdering his brother. So the issue is, and let me make this point clear, God must be first in your life. If you're going to walk with God, if you're going to commit your life to him, he demands first place in your life. He's not going to take second place. He needs to be first place. In Colossians 1.18, the scripture says that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. So my challenge to you this morning, if you get nothing else out of the service, is to give God first place. Put him first and forward in your life before anything, even your spouse, your children. Put him first. Put God first. Because when he's first, then all the other priorities of life will work out and you have the right and proper perspective in how to deal with other priorities of life. So let's turn to Malachi chapter 3. and We're going to look at the tithe. We're going to look at the scriptures where this teaching and these principles are found. In Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 7, and understanding that the tithe defined means first tenth. And, and so when we look at uh, tithe in the context of, of a crop, because back in the day, if somebody had a harvest of corn, they would take a tenth of that harvest, uh, the first tenth of the harvest, and they would give that to the Lord. They'd take it to the uh, synagogue. They would take it to the temple. They'd present that as their first fruits to God. That was their tithe of their crop, or they would sell it, convert it to money, and exchange it in money if it was too far of a distance for them to travel to the temple, and they would take the money that represented the first tenth of their crop, and they would present it as an offering to the Lord. So they would bring it into the storehouse, and so the temple in Jerusalem was that storehouse where people brought the tithes and offerings, and that's that was the central location in the kingdom that orchestrated the ministry of God, the priest, the teaching, uh, the ministry in the nation of Israel to propagate the truth of the gospel and maintain God's divine influence to affect the nation, okay? And so, and, and the church today is that voice, that influence of God in the earth. Uh, we are salt and light. We are to bring the truth of God and the light of God into a, a lost and dying world. So in Malachi chapter 3, book of Malachi, uh, the nation of Israel was very troubled and there were issues they had. And one of the issues is they were not tithing or giving offerings like they had previously done. And so in Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 7, it says, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? I say, now, understand this. 
God's addressing a problem because they've drifted away from following the Lord. They haven't followed the instructions from his word. And now God's calling them to return to them. Okay, we're ready to return. How do we return to you, Lord? How do we get back on track? How do we get right with you? And what's interesting, God answers a question with another question. Okay, notice in verse 8, will man rob God? Okay, but you say, how shall we return? And God says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Wow. So the essence, what God was saying to this nation Return to me because you've robbed me. You've taken something that belonged to me and you kept it for yourself. See, it's different when you have a thief that steals from you when, because a thief does it secretly. They do it behind your back. Uh, a thief comes and you don't know it. Like uh, years ago, we had somebody, they left their car unlocked. God forbid it won't happen. We have security cameras out there now. Um, and somebody stole the, com the uh, computer from the car, the laptop and all that. And the thief came. And nobody saw the thief. But a robber is different. Because they do it to your face. They say, stick them up. Give me your money. They go into the bank. They rob the bank. They go to the teller, point the gun at the teller, and say, okay, put the money in this bag. They do it to your face. And so when we rob somebody, we do it to their face. And this is what God's accusing the people of. You've robbed me. Of what? Tithes and offerings. The tithe is the first tenth, and the offering is, is a surplus beyond that. And, and notice what it goes on to say in verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour, out, pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. I'm going to keep reading on here. Verse 11 goes on to say, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delight, or you'll be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, what's interesting about this is, is that in Old Testament, it was a law. And in the New Testament, it's a principle. But it's a principle that was practiced before the law of Moses was instituted, because Abraham tithed before there was ever a legal law in Israel that they were supposed to tithe. And then we also see in the New Testament, Jesus affirmed the tithe in Hebrews 7. It talks about tithing. It's practiced in this new covenant as well, but now it's a principle rather than a law where we have to do it, but we obey the principle. Any principle of God that you obey, there will be a blessing. I met a millionaire one time who wasn't even really walking with God. But he told, and I, as I introduced myself, I said, I'm a pastor, pastor church in central Wisconsin. 
And he said, oh, do you, do you believe in tithing? And I said, well, as a pastor, yeah, I do. He said, well, I'm a tither. And all the people in my organization, I instruct them, you need to be a tither. And he said, because just as I've seen, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but it has brought great blessing into my life. And I'm thinking, wow. And this guy's not even really walking with God, and he's working this principle. See, the principles of God work because it's, it's God's word, whether you're walking with him or not. But how much better if you're walking with God and you honor the principle of God? Yeah. So what's interesting about this is this is the only time that we're permitted to test God. God's saying, okay, prove me in this. I want to bless you. I want to open the windows of heaven. I want to do so much incredible things in your life. Test me with this tithe. I double dare you. And he didn't say that, but uh, in a sense, he's saying, test me in this. That he'll, and he'll rebuke the enemy on our behalf. See, uh, my challenge, and you know, this is something years ago that I did in my own life, because I used to sporadically tithe. If I could afford it, yeah, I've tithed, then, okay, I can do it this Sunday, great. But if things got tight, I oh, can't afford it this week. But there was a day in my life where I made tithing a settled issue, regardless of how much need I had or how much lack I had, how much abundance I had. I established this principle. And, and, um, and, and there's people, when you make tithing a settled issue, if I got up from this pulpit and said, I don't want anybody else to ever tithe again, you'd still tithe. If you made it a settled issue, you wouldn't listen to that garbage. Uh, and, and, and understand this, and, and I want to share a few things as, as we wrap this thing up. I want to talk a little bit about a year-end gift that's coming up. Um, um, practice it as a principle, but more importantly, it's a means to honor the Lord by putting him first in your life. That's what tithing is. But people don't see it that way. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. Let me say, just stop right there and talk about honor. Honor is defined. Actually, to honor someone is to give weight or grant a person a position of respect and authority in one's life. This is from the, the, the Hebrew word of honor in, in the Greek meaning. Honor is an internal attitude of respect, courtesy, and reverence. It should be accompanied by appropriate attention or even obedience. Okay, that, so we honor the Lord. Look, notice again Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And you can even put paycheck because a lot of the work of the produce today, we are compensated through a paycheck, Okay. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So again, this thing is about honor, honoring him with the first fruits. In the New Testament, we want to flip over there. Uh, Jennifer talked about this and she beautifully shared uh, this from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll start at verse 5 and we'll see the New Testament twist on giving. And we understand that this is not to take anything from anyone, but it's to give them an opportunity to walk in the blessing and the provision of God. See, God has a way 
to meet and supply your need. He has methods and principles to provide and supply your needs. But he's looking for cooperation for us as believers to trust him into partnership with him. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5 says, Though I thought necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you and arrange in advance for you the gift you have promised. In other words, he was, he was raising funds to help the church in Jerusalem because they were suffering some great persecution. So he's traveling to the churches that uh, he was involved with planting and establishing, and now he's receiving an offering and, and gifts from them. So... Uh, he's preparing this in advance to do something for the future. Now, so that it may be already as a willing gift, not as an exaction. And that word exaction simply means a gift expecting something in return. Okay, that's, that's the, the Greek meaning of that word exaction, if we look at it. Verse 6 goes on to say, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, notice verse 7, must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice verse 8, and God is able to make all grace, God's grace is his enablement, his ability, abound to you that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Now, the rest of this chapter goes on to say, and I encourage you to read that. But in principle, this is referring to the offering. And the New Testament is is different because the grace of God enables us to not only meet what the law demands, but to go above it. See, we're not living according to law. We're living by God's grace. But his grace in us enables us to do more than what the law demands and also fulfills the law's demands because it's the working of God's grace in us. It's uh, not us trying to live by a list of do's and don'ts, but letting the grace of God work in us um, to do his will. We have the worship team come up at this time. And as they do, um, I want to direct you to a couple of more scriptures. In Psalms 54, verse 6, with a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Um, what's interesting is it's exactly that. It's a free will. Nobody should ever twist your arm to give. Nobody should ever manipulate or try to coerce you to give. It has to be from your heart. And hear me in this. I want to conclude. I've been reading in the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 24, Moses makes his journey up to Mount Sinai. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he's, he's separated from the people. And he's in the presence of God, the glory of God. He encounters God's presence in such a magnificent way. And Moses goes up there because he needs a download from God so that he can lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So after being in the very presence of God, it's interesting, Exodus 25, 
the very first thing that God instructs Moses to do is to receive a free will offering from the people. Can you imagine how that might have shocked Moses? Uh, God, I was expecting to hear something out. You, you want me to go down there and take an offering? What, what is this, God? What is this? And let's look at it. In Exodus 25, verses 1 through 3, it says that the Lord spoke to Moses. Now realize he had come up into this mountain in the presence of God. And God speaks to him. The first thing God says, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. Now notice this part of the verse. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze. Now understand that when the children of Israel left Egypt, they left with silver, gold, and the wealth of that nation. God moved upon the Egyptians to give the Israelites 400 years of back pay okay, as slaves. And so they had all this stuff. But God saw that he didn't want that stuff to have them. He wanted their hearts. And God knew that if he was to have their hearts, their hearts would need to be moved to give a willing offering to him. And so the bottom line of this message is God wants you to have a willing heart. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's to be willing to give to him your attention, your time, your focus, and even your finances to give to him your love, your affection with a willing heart. Nobody can force you to give. It has to be out of a willing heart. And that's what it's saying here. God was looking for that because where Jesus said where man's treasure is, when a man places treasure in the kingdom, that's an indicator to God. That's where his heart is. Is your heart in this kingdom? That's what he's asking. So if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you might say, Pastor, I, I don't know that my life is right with God. I want to extend the opportunity for you to get right with God because that's a choice and a decision that you can make today. First and foremost, when you recognize that you need a Savior because of your sins, that you can't save yourself, and also recognizing that you need to turn and repent from your sins and what you've done that has broken relationship between you and God. I believe the Spirit of God brings conviction to the sinner to lead them to the cross where Jesus died for them. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead to give you life. 
And by believing in him, by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. Because the scripture says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, thou shalt be saved. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around right now. Maybe you're here and you've walked with God for a season, a time in your life, and, and you've drifted, and now it's time to return and come home. Whether that's you or whether you've never given your heart to Jesus before, I want you to slip up your hand so I can see it, and I'm going to pray for you, anyone, today that would like to receive Jesus. Okay, thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I want you to stand together at this time. And I'm going to lead you in what we call a believer's prayer. It's a prayer we pray to place our faith in Jesus Christ and surrender our life to Him. And it's a determination to put Him first, give Him first place in our life. If you're willing to do that, then pray this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I open my heart to You. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent and turn from my sin and I turn to you Lord Jesus I believe in you that you died for my sins that you rose from the dead to give me life Lord Jesus forgive me change me transform me I give my heart to you I give my life to you Make my life what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Just take a moment and talk to him in your own words. I believe he's ministering to a number of people right now. You're beginning to sense his spirit and his presence move upon you. What God is doing is a cleansing work. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, any woman be in Christ, they're a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Today, your life changes. Before we worship God together, I want to close in a prayer. And this prayer is for us as a church to really allow God to touch our hearts and give us a willing heart willing heart to embrace all that he has for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this congregation, those that are tuned in online. Father, we pray that you'd give us a giving heart, a heart that's responsive to you, a heart that's obedient to you. I thank you for Proverbs that says, Lord, you said, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes observe my ways. Lord, we give you our hearts in this place. And we ask that you move. And Father, as we look to 2021, Father, we thank you for speaking to each of us concerning what you would have us do.
for the year-end gift. Father, that you would show us and make it clear and known. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Amen. Well, let's worship him together. Thank you so much for being so attentive to the word this morning. At Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.